Welcome to episode 12 of Leading Insights, the podcast that tells leadership stories from the public sector and beyond. In this episode, we are joined by James Timpson OBE, the CEO of the Timpson Group. Good morning, James. Good morning. James, can you tell us a little bit about your current role in your career? So I've been in the family business for 25 years properly, but I've started, I mean, I'm 49 now, but I started working in the shops near to where I live near Chester when I was sort of 14 years old. And um, so for the last 20 years, I've been running the business. Um, my dad's always been the chairman. I've been, I was, I was at one point the managing director, but I think, I can't remember why we changed it to chief executive anyway, I'm the chief executive. And I look after um, various different parts of the business. So the main part of the business, which you probably know, is the Timpson shops doing shoe repairs and key cutting, that kind of stuff. And um, we also have a business called Max Spielman, Johnson's The Cleaners, Snappy Snaps. We have a locksmith business. And we randomly have a few pubs as well, which is always a challenge when you have different, different types of businesses. And what we try and do is run every part of the business in the same way, with the same culture and the same values. And over the years since I've been running the business, I've been sort of learning lots of different ways that people run a business and trying to take some of the bits that I think are appropriate and the bits that, 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 that feel right to me and put them into the business. Um, and some work and some don't. So, yeah, so that's sort of been how it's worked. But when I started in the business, we had 220 shops. Uh, and when I started running the business, I think we had 300 and now we're up to 2,100 shops. So it's grown a huge amount, um, but it still, it still to me feels the same. Yeah. And Timpsons is quite famous for its upside-down management model. Can you explain to our listeners how that works, what it has meant to you, your colleagues, and what you think it has meant to your business? So upside-down management is a different way of running an organisation, and it's based on the principles of trust and kindness. So we only have two rules in our company, which is you put the money in the till and you look the part. And the rest is, is left up to our colleagues to do whatever they think is right. We employ wonderful people. I want to trust them to make decisions. And by trusting people to make decisions, I feel they make better decisions. They feel more in control and they're more innovative because most people in jobs turn up and they have some rules but they also have guidelines and the problem with guidelines is people aren't sure whether they're a rule or not so people end up having to sort of stick to the guidelines as well so you end up basically turning up to work and just following lots of rules every day which means that people in in many ways can't be themselves and they can't try new things because they worry about getting, getting into trouble so upside down management is like all cultures complex it takes time to really understand it, and it is difficult for some people to work in a, within a, an environment where they are free to do whatever they think is right. So, for example, if you work in one of our shops, you can charge what you like, you can give things away for free, you can order whatever stock you want, you can do whatever promotion you want, you can decide when you're going to have your lunch break, you can decide lots of different things, but just put the money in the till and look the part. And on, the, on, the, on, the, on, and on those two rules we're really strict on so to us our standards basically which is looking apart it's all about standards is really important to us but the rest i'm not bothered about and so what that means is it's actually quite good fun business because people can really be themselves we have lots of colleagues who are quite eccentric 
lots of colleagues who wouldn't really fit into the mould of a top-down controlled business. And a lot of my colleagues have sort of come from lots of different walks in lots of different places where they sometimes have not been very successful, but they come to us and they, they love this freedom and the, the way they can be themselves and the values of trust and kindness really fit with their personalities. Yeah, so I mean, I come from an NHS and a university background, as you know, but it, it sounds like a really tricky balance between giving people autonomy and individual stores to to make their own decisions and try to be sort of quite innovative, but then also adhering to the values. How is it that you strike that balance and sort of encourage that within your members of your wider team? Well, you're right. It is not straightforward. So the way we do it is two th- is, is two ways. One is we're very very clear on what are the rules and what is a guideline and the fact that those guidelines can be broken. So that's the the stage stage one, be very, very clear. The second part is, is that there is always a problem with people who get into management want to tell people what to do. And it is something in human nature that when someone does something wrong, we want to put in a rule or a process or a procedure or best practice to stop the odd little thing going wrong. So one of our jobs is to make sure that our leaders let people make mistakes, let people use their initiative, and don't tell people off when they try something and it goes wrong. So, you know, we don't always get it right, but it's a very fine balance. And it's about recruiting people who have the right personality and are robust enough to trust people. It sounds like the the living embodiment of an open and learning organisation that we often hear about. Your famous, Timpsons is famous for the care that it gives to its team members. And I remember the last time I met you talked quite a lot about knowing staff, its team members and colleagues. You give people second chances and you're almost also famous as a company for your philanthropy. I mean, I've looked on your website and the, the sort of benefits that you give to your team are wedding support, including the company driver and limo. You've got scratch cards, holiday homes, stuff smoking cessation help. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How, how has this evolved and what are you most proud of out of all of those things? Um, good question. So let me start off by talking about language. You talked about you know, staff, team member, colleague and stuff. So we use the word colleague. Everybody is a colleague. No one is more important than anybody else in the company. Whether you joined us yesterday or 30 years ago, no one is more important than anybody else. And I think language is really important. The reason why we don't like the word staff is to us it implies that someone is more important than the other person. Um, And so that's why we are sort of religiously colleague. And some of our other languages that we use, some people think is a bit odd, but to us it's really important. So when it comes to looking after your colleagues, I've never known a successful business who doesn't look after their colleagues very well. And it is a two-way thing. If I look after my colleagues, I know they will look after my customers. And what I've learned over the years is that various companies, I've been to all around the world. I've been, you know, if I can find a company that does something in a similar way, I go meet, I write to them, phone them up, can I come and see you? And they'll do things differently. Their culture will be slightly different. But, the, but in essence, what they do is the same, which is they recruit people based on personality. They trust them and they really look after them. And that's where these benefits that you mentioned come in. And you know, we are in the middle of a COVID um, pandemic. You know, our business has been, we've had a nightmare. We've had shops shut. We've had, you know, we've been losing millions of pounds a week. The whole thing's been a disaster. We haven't stopped any of the benefits. 
because it's an essential part of our culture that we need to make sure we thank and reward our colleagues. So everyone gets their birthday off as an extra day off. Our holiday homes have been full all the way through. Um, and you're right about, you know, when you get married, you get an extra week off, you get £100 towards the flowers, and the company driver will drive the bride to the church and all, all, all that sort of stuff. But it goes beyond that. It's about knowing your people, because if you know your colleagues, you know when something is wrong. You know when they need help. You know when they don't need help, when something else is wrong. So, for example, we have a full-time um, mental health support team. Um, we have also our financial health first aid at Marion, full-time job. She's really busy helping people who've got into financial difficulty, getting a way out of it and setting up a proper plan. So it's all part of a culture of kindness. And, you know, I don't mean to think we're pushovers. You know, we're really commercial people. But to get a culture that I think is appropriate for delivering amazing customer service and being really effective in doing what we're meant to be doing, which is serving customers, repairing shoes, developing photos, and making money, you've got to have a whole system of benefits and ways of looking after people in the good times and the bad. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it sounds almost like nirvana and from the public sector some of i think some leaders many in the public sector on hearing uh, about these things and looking at your model would feel that it might be unattainable in public sector settings and some private sector businesses would also think well that's impossible what what would you what advice would you give to leaders in those different companies and settings and to how to to sort of start that process you're describing it as a journey so one of the things that we did when when I first started running the business to try and get it going, try and get the culture going, is we had a thing called a good news notepad. Which all we were getting was bad news. The business wasn't doing very well at the time. My dad and I were sort of scrapping around for ideas and how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that. And he came up with the idea of the good news notepad, which is literally a little notepad sent to every colleague saying, if you've got any good news, please fill out the piece of paper and send it to us. And we were amazed the good news started piling in. And it wasn't necessarily good news about business. It was my daughter passed a driving test. Um, you know, my mum's my got better. Um, it could be the dogs had puppies or it could have been I've had a record week or I've learned my level three shoe repairs. Yeah. And that really was the catalyst for giving us the confidence to start doing all these things. Because when you're on the back foot and all you're dealing with is problems, it's hard to have the confidence to be able to step out of that way of running things and try, try new things. So, for example, the birthday off is an extra day off. There are lots of reasons why you shouldn't do it, let alone you're giving days off to people who some, some people say don't deserve a day off. What happens if you've just joined? What, you know, all these sort of various rules. We just do it. <laughs> and, we know, and we know 90% of the time we get it right. But for me in, in business, that's one of the things that's really important to me. If you get it right 90% of the time, that's great. I know in the NHS where, you know, if you're doing operations and stuff, 90% is not acceptable. Yeah. But if you were to look at the back end of your organisation, which is sort of the, the way I was sort of seeing it, sort of the, the kitchens, the cleaning, the portering, all that sort of stuff, you know, I never aim to get everything 100% right every time. I just can't do that. Yeah. But I aim to get 90 to 95% of it right every time. And so we've talked, we've talked about the benefits and you, you've sort of alluded to it, but on the other side of that, you also are quite clear that the 
colleagues that don't fit into the culture or, or make an effort will not be kept on. How do you manage those difficult decisions and conversations? Because sometimes we can be quite conflict averse and it just leads to something festering on for a long time. How, how do you actually approach that with individuals? So I don't say we get it right every time, but I feel that as the leader of the company, I have a moral duty to make sure that my wonderful colleagues only work alongside people who are as wonderful as they are. And if we recruit someone into the business whose best isn't good enough, then we failed. And it's not fair on my colleagues to have to work alongside those people who probably be amazing at another job, but they're not amazing with us. So morally, I don't have a problem of asking someone or challenging someone who isn't doing a really good job. So that's what I, so I come at it from a sort of probably slightly different angle than may, maybe other organisations do, which is we understand it's an ongoing problem and it always will be, but morally, we've got to have amazing people. And if someone is not amazing with us, let's help them be amazing somewhere else. And we have lots of training around how we manage those conversations. And I completely understand lots of people don't like having difficult conversations. But when you're trained and do lots of role plays and you get confident how to do it, you can actually see how you're actually helping that person. Because often if you're, I mean, I, you know, I've been, you know, there are loads of jobs that I'd be terrible at. And I would just, you know, when I've done things in the past, you know, I've done before I worked in the business when I was doing uni university jobs, that sort of stuff, something I was awful at. And what would have been great if someone came up to me and said, listen, James, you know, you're a really nice chap, but this is not for you. Let's help you. Let, let's help you go and find something you're really good at. And essentially, that's what we do. Because we are recruiting people from all walks of life. We're recruiting people from prison. We're recruiting people Who've, who've got existing experience of the trades we're in. So we're getting a completely mixed bag of talent and experience. And sometimes it doesn't work. So we need to sort it out. We need to sort it out fast. So that is where my HR function, we call it colleague support, comes in. It's their job to help those colleagues leave the business who would be happier somewhere else. Throughout your career, have you had any role models? And if so, what did you learn from them? Um, I'm a big fan of finding people who do amazing things. I'm going to see them and ask them hundreds of questions. So even, I mean, I must have been a nightmare young kid, really. <laughs> even when I was 16, I was writing to people I'd read about in the newspapers. I was reading their books saying, can I come and see you? And I remember um, Tom Farmer, when he was running QuickFit, I kept reading. And it was, it was sort of quite a similar business to us. It's customer service. It's saw them growing. So I wrote to him. I remember, I can re remember it now. I thought I'd never get a reply. Anyway. I got a phone call from his office saying, right, he's free next Thursday. Come up and spend a day with him. So I came up to Edinburgh the night before and I spent a whole day with him. He was amazing. Showed me exactly how he runs a business. He took me to the, they, then it, their office was by Murrayfield. And he took me to their garage next door and he was showing me how he sells tires and how all this, he was an amazing guy. And ever since then, whenever anybody's wanted to, you know, come and see me or to spend a day out with me around the shops, I always say yes, because it was such a, um, an inspirational moment that I just learned and was confident that well, if he can do it and he started off, you know, running a garage, then, then I can do it. So there's, there's a business called Richer Sounds, which is run by a guy called Julian Richer, who I know very well. And I, you know, I speak to him probably on a weekly basis now. That was probably the formative business. He wrote a book called The Richer Way, probably about 25 years ago now. And I literally just copied everything they, they did. I, I think Disney are amazing the way they have high standards. So I've been to see Disney a few times. I've been to see businesses in Holland, in Norway, in Finland, everywhere, just to get ideas about how it works. 
um, and also a big book reader. So I'm still learning. I'm still lapping up. In fact, I read something last. Read a, a book last night, which, which was fantastic. So you've got like, like in the medical profession, you're always learning. I'm always learning, but I'm always learning. Instead of you about how how to improve people's health, I'm learning how to improve my culture. Is that one of the things that you enjoy most about your job? Yeah, I find it fascinating. I mean, I don't learn much being in the office. I learn a lot by being out and about around my shops, meeting my colleagues in the, in the business and seeing other businesses. So I see it as my training, seeing how other businesses run and other organizations. So I'm involved with a few prison things and a few um, non-commercial organizations, which actually I learned just as much from because it's about leadership. Yeah, it's not. I don't really learn anything about how to repair a shoe better or how to make more money from a shop. I learn about culture and how you can be an even better company, both for colleagues and for customers. To discuss it briefly, we're, we're recording this uh, in, in November and England's in the second lockdown. We've got COVID lockdowns across the four home nations. It's obviously been tough on everyone, but this must be the most challenging times for businesses in general, let alone small businesses and high, t- high street retail and entertainment businesses. At the start of the, this second lockdown, was there anything that you said to your colleagues and others? And was there any advice or thoughts that you had for people that are st- really starting to struggle at this time? Well, you're right. It's really difficult. I mean, when the first lockdown happened, I remember walking out of the office one day and think I'd never come back again. Might not even have a business. Um, but fortunately, we are in business. We're, you know, we're struggling along, but it will be okay in the end. In fact, I was up in Glasgow last week going around the shops around South Glasgow. And our colleagues are amazing. They're, you know, because virtually all of our shops are still open, they're, everyone's at work, things are happening normally. But one thing we have done, when we have used furlough, everyone's been on 100% pay. So I've topped everyone's pay up, which has made a significant difference for colleagues. I think our colleagues like working in busy shops and in you know, busy factories and busy warehouses. People like the buzz of just being on the right side of panic. And when shops are quiet, our standards generally go down and our colleagues aren't as engaged and aren't as fired up. So that sort of worries me a bit. Um, but we've just got to just ride it out. And I mean, everyone has their own different opinions. I sort of got in my head, wait till April, everything's going to get better from April. But every, every two or three weeks, I have a call with fellow shoe repairers around the world to compare notes. In fact, there are four of us, that's it. So it's not exactly a big world. And this morning, I was talking to a guy called Mark, who runs a shoe repair chain in Australia, Australia and New Zealand. And they're sort of further ahead of us, they've done things differently. But they're actually doing very well now in New Zealand and most parts of Australia, sort of better than ever. So that sort of gives me a bit of hope. But running a business, you've always got to be an eternal optimist. Um, so that's what I am, even though we keep taking the hits. To follow up from that then, what has helped you cope both personally and professionally through this pandemic? How have you maintained that optimism and fire to keep going? And- uh, with, with mixed results, probably. Um, you know, you've always got to put, as a leader, you've always got to put on a positive face. So every Friday I do my video updates. There's WhatsApp around every colleague in the business and it's telling everyone the truth of what's happening. You know, always be realistic. You know, when things are bad, they're bad. You know, we had, we've had two colleagues pass away of COVID. You know, we've had some pretty low, low moments over this pandemic. But personally, just, just in, in some ways it's been exciting because it's new and it's different. And I also feel that every leader at the moment is really being tested. 
And this is, you know, I'm pleased I'm, I've got the experience that I have with the business because I'm in the best place to try and get us through this. If I'd only been running the business for a year, it would be a very different matter. I just wouldn't know which levers to pull and, and, and how to do it right. Um, I've tried to do lots of running. and I mean, I've actually been at home a lot more than I would do. So I haven't been able to travel as much. I normally travel two, three days a week around shops and other various things I do. So like you, you know, we've got the hang of all the Zoom calls and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it has been pretty stressful. And I'm actually looking forward to being sociable again. You know, I love it. You know, I, I love getting out and about and going to concerts and football matches and going to bars and all that sort of stuff. So like lots of people, I'm just sort of holding on, waiting on. But also, you know, as a parent, we've got three kids at university um, and trying to support them um, has, hasn't been straightforward. They've all had their various challenges. Um, but an eternal optimist, but it's been bloody difficult. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a recurring theme for more, even though I'm an eternal optimist as well. And yeah, I, I, I recognise that. What advice would you give to your younger self? Knowing what I know now about what we've just been through. Through your, throughout your career, through COVID, through if you look, if you went back to that sixteen-year-old James and said, "You know what? Here's a bit of advice." The one, the one thing I would advise is running an organisation. You're not running an organisation; you're still learning. Just see it as an extension of university. But it's you know, it's, I'm tested every week. I get my sales figures every day, every week. So I still have my exams, I have my board meetings, I'm accountable to everybody and everything for what we do. But I just see leadership as education. And that would be my one, one piece of advice, which is don't get too head up on the short-term things, but it's all about long-term and it's about education. And running a business, don't run out of money. That's the key. <laughs> yeah. Never run out of money. We, about 18 years ago, we nearly ran out of money. Uh, and that's been the one big lesson. Never run out of money. Um, but leadership is, is, is a process of education. And the sort of lighthearted final question that we ask all of our uh, guests in the podcast, and if in another life, what would you have been if you hadn't followed your chosen pathway? I think I would love to have been a farmer. Farmer? Yeah, I'd like to have been a farmer. I love being out and about. I'm not a good office person. Um, I like the countryside. I like putting my wellies on. Um, I'd like to have been a farmer. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your time today. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Great.